0: Father, we thank you for that name, the name above every name, the name of Jesus. We're so grateful this evening that we can gather in that name. Father, we thank you for the victory that truly is ours through Christ Jesus. Father, we ask your blessing upon this time that everything that is said and done will bring you glory and honor. Lord, we thank you that you're a good God, that you're a loving Father. And we thank you, Father, that through your word we get to we get to know you. Through knowing you, we understand the truths that you've given us in the scriptures. Open our hearts and minds tonight to hear and receive that which you would have for us tonight. And Father, may you receive all the honor and the glory because you're worthy of it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hallelujah. Wow, you can go ahead and be seated and praise the Lord. Well, it't got good. Amen. Well, we're talking about the believers' authority, and uh, we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, and we're going to continue to talk about it tonight and uh tonight we're going to kind of focus in on one area more than maybe some others is. And that's talking about strife. You know, one of the things the enemy wants to do is he wants to get us into strife with one another and with those around us. And, and if he can achieve that, um, he, he, he's got basically an open door for us. He's got a way that he's going to be able to um, bring destruction into our lives. And so he tries to bring um, uh, that strife into our lives. And what we need to realize, what we need to understand is that strife is a luxury that we can't really afford because of what it produces because of the door that it opens in our lives. And so because we're in a spiritual battle and because uh, strife is one of the tools that the enemy wants to use because we're not going to function in strife. We're not going to have peace at the same time. And, uh, you know, so he wants to get us out of peace. He wants to get us into strife. And part of that is because we're going to see here in a moment how we've been created in the image of God. And <clears throat> God is peace. You know, this world may be in turmoil. And, but, you know what, none of it's catching God off guard. Uh, he's still God and... Uh, He's still got things under control. And when we can put our confidence and our trust in Him, that's when we're going to be in peace. But we get out of peace when we begin to try to deal with things in our own way, in our own flesh, in our own strength. And so uh, that's where we need to drop back, relax, and begin to put our trust and our confidence in Him once again. But I want to look at a couple of scriptures because... I think oftentimes we think a little bit of strife in our life, that's, well, that's just pretty much natural. And, uh, but that's not how it's to be. But in Romans, the 15th chapter in the 33rd verse, it says, now the God of peace be with you all. You know, that's, that's, that passage doesn't say a whole lot, but yet it says volumes. Because it says, the peace of God be upon you. And so once again, what we see is that God is peace. You're never going to find him in turmoil. You're never going to find him surprised. You're never going to find God, you know, shaking in his boots, wondering what he's going to do. He, he's, in, he's in perfect peace. In the 16th chapter, the 20th verse, we have basically the same thing. It says, the God of peace will crush Satan under, his, under your feet shortly. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The God of peace, the God of peace. We see that in two of those passages, the God of peace. And in Genesis there, it talks about how we are created in his image. And so we are to function, we're to live in peace because that's, That's our God. He's a God of peace. You know, in Galatians, the fifth chapter, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And it's interesting, you know, one of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. And so what that's telling us is we're supposed to live a life of peace. And we say, well, you know, that's that's pretty difficult. Well, it is when we try to do it in our own strength, but when we put our trust in Him. You know, we've, the last series that we looked at, we looked at grace, the power of the gospel. And as we went through that that study of grace, we began to see that grace is God's part. That's everything that he's provided for us. And when we look at Galatians, the fifth chapter, we, 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 we refer to it as the fruit of the spirit. And of course, there's two different avenues that people use in teaching that. Some teach that it's uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Others teach that it's the fruit of our spirit, the recreated spirit. Uh, <clears throat> but you know what? It really doesn't matter. You can teach it any, either way. Because whether it be the fruit of the Holy Spirit or it's the fruit of the recreated spirit, it's the same fruit, the same spirit. Because we have the Spirit of the living God living on the inside of us, the Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so if it's the Holy Spirit, that's what ought to be manifesting in our life. And if it's our recreated spirit, then that's what ought to be manifesting in our life. And what the important thing about grace is, is for us to realize that this isn't something we're trying to gain. This isn't something we're trying to grow. This is something that's already been imparted into our life. In the same way that the moment that we were born again, healing was a part of that, you know, the word sozo, salvation, is an all-inclusive term, it includes eternal life, but it also includes healing, it includes deliverance, it includes prosperity. Uh, prosperity, uh, biblical prosperity, isn't just talking about money, it's talking about every area of our life, socially, emotionally. Uh, every area of our life we're supposed to prosper, includes finances. And so those are all graces that have been imparted into our life because of the completed works of Jesus. Now when we begin to look at Galatians, the fifth chapter, and we we see the fruit of the Spirit, it's the same thing. These are graces that have been imparted into our life. And so I'm not trying to get peace, I have peace. I'm not trying to get joy, I have joy. I'm not trying to be faithful, I am faithful. Because it's the fruit of the Spirit. And the interesting thing about fruit, you know, oftentimes what happens is we want, we think if I'm producing these attributes in my life, I'm proving that I'm a born-again Christian. No, because you're a born-again Christian, you have these attributes. They're fruit, they're not roots. You know, Jesus is the root. Jesus. Is who we're connected to. It's Jesus that we get our nourishment from that causes us to grow. So we look to Jesus. And the result of being connected to Jesus is that these fruit are going to begin to be produced in our life. They're going to become evident to everybody around us, not because we're trying to be a certain way, but because of who we're connected to, because we're connected with Jesus. And so Peace, oftentimes people say, well, I, I just can't help it. I just can't, I can't get peace. Well, it's because we're looking at the circumstances. We're looking at the things around us. We're, we're looking at this world that we live in. I mean, this world is a mess. I mean, just today again with a, a young uh, lady at Iowa State being murdered. I mean, the world is whack And so if you're going to look at this world that we live in and think that somehow by looking around you, looking at the circumstances, you're going to get peace in your life, you're you're deceived. And that's what we're talking about here when we're talking about that we have an adversary. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to focus upon everything around us rather than focusing on the completed works of Jesus to look to him. Because... This world world isn't gonna get better. I'm sorry, I read the end of the book. I read the end of the book, and the end of the book, uh, it doesn't get better, it gets worse in the world. But for us, we rise above it because of who we're in and what he's provided for us. And so in, a, in the midst of a defeated world, we can live victorious if we're looking to Jesus. If we look at everything else, uh, it, it's a totally different situation. You know, <clears throat> you know it's, really, it's really easy to talk bold when you're not going through anything. Amen? Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? You know, you know, you, most of you have heard me share how this friend of mine, one day he uh, wanted to go road tripping so I, I was riding with him, he had to pick up some stuff and, and uh, while we we're driving along and, and uh, all of a sudden he got really quiet and he says, Pastor? You knew know, it's going to be serious when they say Pastor. You know, and so he says, Pastor, he says I've finally arrived. And I said, oh, praise the Lord. You know, what, what, do you, what do you mean you finally ride? And he says, I, I finally come to the place where I know that I'm ready to die for Christ. I said, well, praise the Lord, I'm happy for you. But I said, I think I am. But I'll never know for sure until the opportunity presents itself. <laughs> and I'm not believing for that right now. I want to believe. I I have a hope. I believe that if if somebody stuck a gun to my head and said, you know, you either deny Christ or I'm going to blow your brains out, you know, I'm going to say pull the trigger because I'm not going to deny Christ. But again, we don't know those things until we we get to that point. And so what the enemy wants to do, he wants us to look at things superficially. He wants us to get confident within ourselves so that we no longer focus our attention completely on Him. I know my shortcomings. You know, <clears throat> I always tell people there's, there's two things that I fear. I fear Pastor Becky, and I, I fear getting up in front of the church and not having the anointing of God on me. And uh, there's no, I I know what the Bible says, uh, perfect love casts out all fear. Uh, For the second one, don't bother to pray for me because I don't want to be free of that. I don't ever want to be free and think that I can function in my own strength and ability. And, you know, because you can learn how to preach. You can learn how to do all this stuff. But, you know, it's totally different if you're doing it and it's the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we need to be in our everyday lives. We need to be dependent upon him, and that means that we need to give him place. Um, you know, The title of the message today is Satan's inroads. And so what he, want, what he has is he, has, he wants to get inroads into our life. He wants to get us thinking about things that are contrary to the way that he wants us to go. You know what's interesting about this individual? <clears throat> Um, I think he's back with the Lord now, but for a period of time after that, he he practically totally fell away from the things of God. And it just shows that when we open ourselves up, when we begin to think that we can handle it in our own strength all at once, um, we're in a very dangerous place. Well, technically we're talking about this whole strife thing, uh, but see, that's how it all gets started we begin to think that we can handle things in our own strength and our own ability. Now, we all know that there's stuff that we have to do. Amen. You know, uh, James says faith without works. I like New American Standard. Faith without corresponding action is dead. And so if we have faith, there's going to be a corresponding action that goes along with what we say we believe. If there isn't, do we really believe it? But notice... The action comes after the belief, not before the belief. And oftentimes what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to prove to everybody that I believe by my actions. No, my actions prove that I believe. You may say, well, that, you're, you're saying the same thing. No, I'm not. You know, because if, if your actions don't come after the belief, eventually they'll go by the wayside, just like the individual that I talked about. But you see, if I, if I truly believe that, then my actions are gonna demonstrate it and I'm gonna to continue to walk in it. You see, the hard, of, the hard part, the hard part about Christianity is consistency. Have you any, anybody, I'll raise my hand, both my hands on that one. The, the hard part is consistency. You know, because um, it's easy to say something, but it's much more difficult to live it, and it's much more difficult to live it on a consistent basis. But that's what the power of the Holy Spirit works in our life, and that's why we never want to um, walk without Him. But there in Galatians 5.22, where it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so all of those are attributes of the Holy Spirit. And all of those are attributes that we're supposed to be demonstrating in our life. And the one that we're keying on today is is peace. And when we're not walking in peace, what happens is um, we we open the door. You know, we we give him access. You know, Jimmy Rushton, he's gone home to be with the Lord now, as you know, but he was the first one that I'd ever heard use this terminology. He said, we need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And uh, because he wants to work things in our life. And so to cooperate with him means that when we see a truth in the scriptures, we take it and we apply it in our lives. What the enemy wants us to do, what the world wants us to do, is to cooperate with them. To fit into their mold, to fit into their, you know, the direction that they want to take us. You know, um, we used to talk in the church. We used to we used to talk about cookie-cutter Christians. You know, that everybody looked the same, and, and that's that's so unbiblical because Christianity is the very opposite of that. Because in Christ, uh, our identity really comes forth, and so you know, each and every one of us have. A different, I mean, we identify with Christ, but we all have a different function, we all have a different purpose, we all, you know, every one of us, he's got a call and a purpose for us, and it's, it's not the same. But see, what the world does, you want to talk about cookie cutter, it's, it's the world because it wants, to, it wants to mold us, it wants to mold us into this form, it wants to mold us so that we have the the same thoughts, we have the same concerns, uh, we, we think the very same way. But in Christ Jesus, that's where we find liberty. Now, hopefully when we focus on him, our beliefs and so forth, they merge together. But it isn't him molding us and making us that way, it's we allowing him to form us, and bring us into that place where we trust him and we put our confidence in him. Um, <clears throat> like I was saying, the enemy wants to destroy us and one of the number one ways that he does it is through fear, because you're not gonna walk in peace and have fear at the same time. and So he wants us to get, to be fearful of the circumstances around us and <clears throat> how many of you know there's a lot of opportunities to get fearful. There's a lot of stuff out there. You know, I I look at and I the the condition of the world today and I'm I'm so thankful that my kids are all adults. You know, and uh, but it's but what would that be? That would be fear that would try to grip me and make me think that it's hopeless. And that's where we, we put our trust in him, knowing that as we have our confidence in him, that He's never gonna let us down. He's never going to forsake us. And so we need to realize that we, we are in, in a battle. A Little bit later on, we're gonna look at a scripture and it talks about our thoughts. You know, isn't it interesting? Sin can never get a hold of you in an area that you've never had a thought. You know, that's why You know what the enemy wants to do is he wants to get us so familiar with things. You know, that's why uh, our culture, our movies, our TV programs, they're constantly bombarding us with things that go contrary to our, our basic belief but it still comes. And what happens is, eventually, if we continue to yield to it, we, we become desensitized to it. In other words, things that once bothered us, it doesn't bother us anymore. And the lie is, what happens is we, we think, well, I guess I've matured because that doesn't bother me anymore. No, it, it, it means that you've be, you're, you're not sensitive to it anymore. The Bible talks about the searing of the heart. That that our hearts can become seared so that the things of the world don't bother us any longer. And so what happens when it doesn't bother us any longer, we're able to get into a place of agreement with that. Well, Pastor, I wish you'd just go back and teach on grace because that was a whole lot more fun than this. But whether you realize it or not, This is is talking about, this is grace. Because it's His grace that empowers us. You see, grace doesn't mean that we're out there doing whatever we want. Grace means that I've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill His plan and His purpose in my life. That I'm able to walk in the fullness of what He's made available to me. And so... It is grace that we're talking about. Roman numeral two, it says, the devil is trying to destroy your life today. And you see, that's one of the things that we've got to realize is that he really is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants to do it today. And he may not accomplish it today, but if he can get the thought there, if he can get, us, get just a little inroad in there. You know, um, people that have addictions in their life, it was a process that took place. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to to use that process to get in and, and just a thought, just one action, and then it'll lead to another, and then it'll lead to another. Well, you know, the same thing is true in reverse when we follow after the things of God. You know, I always tell people, you know, if you, if you have a difficult time reading the scriptures, don't start by reading a, the book of Matthew in one sitting. You know, read a chapter, and if a chapter is too much, take a verse. You know, I'd rather have somebody take one verse and think on that verse, meditate on that verse, get fed from that verse, because that opens the door for more. And so where we're areas where we're struggling, oftentimes we want the immediate fix. But it starts one step at a time. And, and so we, we begin to take those steps. Um, in A, there's talking about being fearful. There's where he wants to get us. He wants to get us in fear. Fear will freeze us. It'll... It'll it'll freeze us to the point that we we do absolutely nothing. You know, uh, I uh, I hate snakes. You know, I, I, it is it is no surprise to me that uh, it was a snake in the garden. You know, and uh, I, I remember when I was plumbing, I was plumbing up in Mount Lake, Minnesota, and and uh, I was um, insulating some steam lines and so I was in the crawl space and you know so it was about this tall and about three feet wide and you know you're in there with about four other you know six inch pipes and you're crawling down the thing and you're insulating and so forth and it's in the winter you know so but, but it was nice and warm because I was next to steam pipes and I'm, I'm going down this crawl space and all of a sudden and I don't know what kind of snake it was because I didn't stick around that long. Mm-hmm. But I saw that, that snake and I took off. I, I mean, my, my granddaughter, Emily, picks up snakes. Yeah. She picks it up and we leave. And you know, because I don't, I don't care what kind of it is, you know, a snake deserves to have its head chopped off. You know, that... <laughs> That's the only good snake I know of is a headless snake. And, uh, and so, I mean, I saw that snake and at first I froze and then, you know, thank God I was a lot younger because I suppose I was about 24 at the time. But, you know, I went down that, that cross space like you wouldn't believe. remember one time we were out here at um, some pond. The guy was gonna show me this pond. I was there with two other guys, and we're walking down this path. And all of a sudden, this snake went across in front of me. And I literally tried to jump in one of the guys' arms. and I think they thought I was a little screwy. You know? But I, I mean, there was no thought to it. And that's where the enemy wants to get us. He wants us to be consumed by stuff. He brings fear into our life, fear of the unknown, fear of tomorrow, fear of what's gonna happen. And he freezes us. You know, you remember when we, yeah, most everybody in this room can remember it. When we we turned the century, we're going to go to the year 2000. And I I remember like it was yesterday because there were all these prophecies that came out that everything was going to fall apart. And, uh, you know, our, our, our electrical plants were all going to close down because none of the computers were going to be able to make the transition and so everybody was convinced that everything was going to fall apart. I was going to say was going to hell in a handbasket but I didn't think that was appropriate for tonight so I decided not to say that. You know. Huh? Y2K. Yeah. and. You know, so everybody was... And all these prophecies coming out from from preachers I know. And uh, and I I made this statement, you know, and and again, it's really easy to make these bold states. That's what I was going to say earlier. It's really easy to make these bold statements when, you know, nothing's happening at that point. And I said, you know, my God has not changed. Mm -hmm. And so maybe all of Jefferson, Iowa is gonna be in darkness, but you drive by my house and we're gonna have lights in it because if God can light the land of Goshen under the Old Testament and all of Egypt go dark, he can light my house and the rest of the town go dark. Well, thank goodness I'd never have to you know, improve that or anything because it didn't go dark. But you know what's interesting? I never heard one of these preachers, one of these prophets recant on their prophecy. Isn't that interesting? You know, and uh, you know, see that's what I want. I want a, I want a prophet that is real. Now, I don't I want a prophet that messes up, but when he does mess up, I want him to be quick to repent and say, you know what, that was a wrong word that I had, and I apologize, and I ask your forgiveness in the name of Jesus, and you know, I, I forgive him, go on and I'll be able to listen to the next prophecy that he gives because of his attitude. But we had none of that. You know, probably because they're trying to function as an old testament prophet, and under the old testament, <clears throat> we would have had to have taken him to the edge of the city and stoned him. I'm not talking about smoking something either. You know, I'm talking about these rocks, you know. And but but see I'm so glad I live in the New Testament, that we're free, that we can have peace. And the peace isn't something that I work up, it's something that's been made available to me through Christ Jesus. And so when it seems like everything is going wacko, crazy in your life, we can turn back to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and know that he's not gonna let us down. Listen to this passage. It comes from Psalms 101, and it's verse 3, and it says, verse 101, verse 3, it says, I will set nothing wicked before your eyes. I hate the works of those who fall away it shall not cling to me. It's not going to cling to me. You know, we've been set free. What the enemy wants to bring in our lives, it's not going to cling to us. But you know how it clings to us? It's when we begin to indulge the flesh. When we allow the flesh to rule, what happens? All the stuff of the world, it clings to you. But it doesn't have to because of who we have in Christ Jesus. You know, all of us, we want to see blind eyes open. We want to, hear, we want to see, hear about deaf ears being opened. We want to see miracles. We want to, you know, hear people talking about, I want to see people raised from the dead. I want to see all those things too. But you know, are we willing to cling to, the things of God, so that we see those things happen. I'm always reminded of Brother Hagen, You know, because Brother Hagen was always accused of having uh, an extra measure of faith. You know, that God blessed him, and he was able to do the things that he, he was able to do because he had special faith. Well, <clears throat> the Bible talks about special faith when it's talking about uh, the nine gifts of the Spirit. Uh, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, um, gift of faith, gift of healing, gift of miracles, um, tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, those nine gifts of spirit, and, and there it talks about faith. And, and it's not talking about the faith that we're talking about in Romans 10, 17. We're talking about um, special faith. And when that special faith is, is operating in your life, it's, it's, it's for a special event. It isn't like some individual just continually all the time has this special faith in their life. But there are times where that special faith will rise up and and you're able to believe for something that you would have never been able to believe for otherwise. But Brother Hagin, people would say, well, you have special faith, and he says, no. He says, I received the measure as it says in Romans 10, or excuse me, 12 uh, 3, he says, I received the same measure that you received of faith. He says, the difference is I made a decision to do something with my faith. You know, that's what Brother Hagin did. He developed his faith. He spent time um, reading the word, meditating in the word, praying in the Holy Ghost. He he did those things. Why? So that 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 measure that he had would be able to produce more. You know, and so Brother Hagenoy said, he says, you can have the same measure, or you can have the same faith that I have to do what I do if you're willing to do what I did. You know, and so that, you know, so I don't share that to be a discouragement. I share that to be an encouragement that each and every one of us realize that all of those promises that have been made to us are available to us. But you know what, the enemy wants to keep us from getting into those areas, and so we have to make a decision. I'm gonna gonna hang on to the Word of God. I'm I'm not gonna allow anything to discourage me. I'm not gonna allow anything to take it away from me. I'm not gonna allow the things of the world to become dominant, that they cling to me, that keep me from fulfilling the plan and the purpose that God has for me because I'm gonna fulfill his plan, I'm gonna fulfill his purpose in my life. Hebrews eleven fifteen. 15. And truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity. And so here he's talking about, remember the children of Israel? God delivers, delivers them from slavery. And they got out in the wilderness and they said, you know, <laughs> if only, if only you would have just left us alone. I mean, we had onions, we had, we had turnips to eat. Onions and turnips, whoopee-doo. You, know, you know, and so they're bawling and squalling about their condition. And they were longing for Egypt. What he's saying here is you can't set your mind on where you came from or you'll be drawn back to it. You know, over the years we've had the opportunity to minister to different individuals and I have one in particular that I'm thinking of right now and and uh, this person always wanted to be where they weren't. Because wherever they weren't, I, th- that probably isn't good English, and I got teachers here tonight, but uh, forgive me, I'm, I'm, from, I'm from Minnesota. <clears throat> uh, but wherever they, she wasn't, its where she wanted to be. You know, she'd, she'd come to live with us from a place that she'd come from, and. Oh, uh, back there was such, so much better, and blah, 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 blah. Then they went back there, and oh, it was so much better there. You know, a lot of times, that's what we're doing, is we're looking back. And it's, it's, it's interesting about looking back. You know, people talk about the good old days. Let me tell you something. They weren't that good. You know, I went, I went to my 50th class reunion a couple of years ago. That's really hard to believe, but... But i did i I mean it's hard to believe that I went to it <laughs> you know, but but i I went to it, and uh you know because we're we're going to reminisce about the the good old days, and uh you know my buddies that I ran around with they're all going to be there and and uh and so <clears throat> we're there and and so I asked about pat pat was. A year younger than me, so he wasn't gonna be at the, the reunion. And I'd wondered what had happened to Pat because, you know, he was, we, we did all kinds of stuff together. And a uh, year earlier, he had died of cancer. And then I wondered about Red. What, whatever happened to Red? Well, Red, um, with his alcohol, it got so bad. That he had to be put in an institution in uh, Sioux Falls, and eventually died of complications due to the alcoholism. Um, Clayton, uh, who was another one of my running buddies, was there. Uh, Clayton had spent some time in Vietnam, and but then he, uh, while there, he had gotten addicted to drugs and so forth and, but he was there and uh, uh, his wife had to lead him around uh, because he had just cooked too many cells in his brain and um, just could barely function any longer you know and so I look back at that and I think yeah those are really some good old days that we had this is what it led to and the only thing that brought me out was the fact that the age of 25, I got introduced to Jesus Christ as my personal Lord, and Savior. And, and, you know, I think people sometimes wonder, you know, why would you get so um, fanatical or whatever about Jesus? But, you know, what? all you have to do is look at what happens without Him in their life. And He's our hope. And so... Our past oftentimes wants to cling to us because it wants to to pull us back again. You know, was Bruce Binkley one time, I'd ask him to share his testimony, and and he says, well, I won't share it like others share it because most people, when they share their testimony, they share for um, 45 minutes about their horrible past and the addiction and everything that they went through, and then the last five minutes, they real quick throw in that they received Jesus as their Lord and Savior and they've been set free. And he says, I won't do that because I won't identify with my past. I'll say where I came from, but I'm not gonna go into it because I don't wanna remember those things. And, and when he shared that with me, I thought it was really cool. But I've thought about it since then, and i thought, that is really true. Because there are so many people with addictions in their life that are drawn back because it begins to look appealing to them because of the circumstances, because they get difficult, they get drawn back to that again because they look at it as a refuge in a good time, but they forget about all the horrible junk that went along with it. And that's why... You know what Dan and Cindy are doing up in in Fort Dodge at Celebrate Recovery? We're going up there this Sunday night because they have another group that's graduating um, from Celebrate Recovery, and that's what I I like about the program up there. The you know the the the, in, the guy on the inside that uh, kind of heads it up and works with Dan and Cindy with it. He comes to our Monday night group, and and this, this guy is is wonderful because. He isn't focused on where they came from. He's constantly focused on where we're going. And that's the thing about Celebrate Recovery. It's, a, it's similar to, I, I don't know if I can even say it's similar to. It's a program like AA. The difference is it's always looking forward, looking to where Jesus is able to take you. How he set you free, but this is where you can go with it. But you know what? Every one of us are in the midst of one of those programs. Because our our past is trying, it's constantly trying to get a hold of us, and it's trying to drag us back. But we've got to be determined that we're not going to allow it to cling to us. We're not going to allow the things of the world to cling to us. And we're going to cling to Jesus because He's our answer. He's our hope in every situation. Um... If you want godly relationships, you have to start guarding your tongue. You know, it's, it's interesting. I think the number one thing the enemy wants to do, and he does it through our thoughts, because you can't say it until you think it. You know, well, I wasn't even thinking. I don't know why I said that. You, you're deceived. You were thinking. You might not have been thinking right, but you can't say something unless it comes through your thinking process, unless you're praying in tongues. That's the glory of tongues. But see, <clears throat> we've got to think it. And then when we think it, we say it. And when we say it, that's when it's going to lead to actions. And so, that's how it is with, with strife. We can think something, but then we need to guard our, our, our heart, our mouth, and watch what we say. I don't know about you, I have, I've got into more trouble opening this thing than probably anything else in my entire life. If I'd have just kept my mouth shut, I hear from the other room. I hear that murmuring, you know, why didn't I just keep my mouth shut? You know, because I knew it wasn't going to do any good anyway. And so what I do? I open the door. Open the door for what? We open the door for strife. Disagreement. Disharmony. And what it does is it opens the way for the the enemy. And so we need to guard our tongues. That's why the... I was meeting with somebody today and they, you know, we're talking about how they finally come to the point where they're going to speak what's on their mind. And... I thought, well, that's a big mistake because <laughs> <clears throat> I know of some of what's your on what's on your mind, and that, that that's going to present a really, really, really big problem here, you know. Uh, but but that's why we we you know we think we're going to speak what's on our mind, <clears throat> but I don't remember who I heard say it. It might have been I don't know. It was a preacher. I probably heard a dozen of them say it, but. <clears throat> You know, God's giving you one mouth and two ears for a purpose. In other words, you ought to be listening twice as much as you're speaking. And, uh, you know, of course, there's no biblical stance for that. Just logical. You know, we need to watch what's coming out of our, our mouths. Because that's, what, that's one of the doorways. That's one of the things that opens the way for strife to come into our life. And what happens with strife? We open the door and uh, it makes the way for other things to take place as well. In Ephesians 4.27 it says that we're not to give place to the devil. It's up to us to say we're not gonna give place, we're not gonna give him opportunity. But you know, there's the other side of it. If we're not gonna give place to the enemy then we need to give place to the things of God. You know, I, I've, I, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago how the scripture passage where it says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And how early on in my Christian walk, I spent the whole time resisting the devil. I mean, that, that, was, that was my life, resisting the devil, because at every turn there was, a, there was a temptation. But finally, I read the whole passage. It's funny how when you do that, it helps out. I read the whole passage. It says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And the thing that I found out was the more that I submitted to God, the less I had to resist the devil, the things of the world. And see, that's what I think of when when I think about giving place to the devil. We need to give place to the things of God. And when we give place to the things of God, the enemy, the world, the flesh, has less opportunity to dominate and control our lives. You know, because ultimately, you know, and that's the thing that we're going to see as we continue to go through this this series, is the enemy wants to control us. The world wants to control us. It wants to dominate. It wants to... um, it wants to dictate to us what we're going to think and what we're going to believe. You know, God, on the other hand, He's a gentleman. He doesn't want to control us, but He wants to lead us. You know, it's an interesting thing when somebody is leading you, you have to be willing to follow. And that's the thing with us, with the things of God. You know, we've got to be willing to follow because, you know, <clears throat> God, isn't going to, God isn't going to dominate us. Again, going back to the grace message, You know, that's why, you know, I think a lot of preachers have a difficult time with the message of grace. And the reason for it is, is is because we can't put a a lot of uh, requirements. You know, because, uh, you know, the Ten Commandments have the do's and the don'ts. Um, But it's been written in our hearts. And so uh, for me to stand up on a Sunday morning and say, you've got to do this and you have to do the other thing and you've got to do this, you know, I would be trying to impose what I consider to be the will of God on your life. Where it's already been written in your heart and once it's written in our heart, what we have to do then is we have to choose to follow. And the thing about it is, is when we choose to follow, that's when we, well, we talked about peace earlier. That's when we have peace in our life. When you're doing something because I told you you have to, it's not going to bring you peace. If anything, it's probably going to make you think, that stinking preacher, who does he think he is? But see, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to cooperate with him. He wants us to, yield to Him, He wants us to submit to Him. His will be done. You know, Jesus in everything is our example. Everything. You know, thank God for the Apostle Paul, thank God for Peter, thank God for the writings and everything, but ultimately, Jesus is our example. And we look at Jesus, well number one, we see Him right after He was baptized. And uh, he's, he's taken into the wilderness. He's led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And he's in the wilderness for 40 days and nights. And he's not had anything to eat or drink. And it says at that point, the Satan came to tempt him. You know, what's interesting is he always tries to reach us at our most vulnerable time. You know, uh, my classic on this one was... <clears throat> You know I'd graduated from Bible school and had started the church in Wapaca, Wisconsin. And um, but I <clears throat> my my 63 Corvair was still in Missouri. And so there was somebody going to Missouri so I caught a ride with them and um, gonna stay overnight and then drive back to Wisconsin the next day. And so I thought I'd visit school. And so I, I went to school that night and and one of the instructors uh, there was a storm at the airport, and he was flying in. He wasn't able to get there, so they said, "Well, Dave, why don't you just go ahead and take that class, and you can teach what they've been teaching, or just share whatever." And so I just thought I'd have a question-answer time, and somebody asked me about something, and so I would shared a couple experiences, you know, with different situations, and and at the end of it, I said, you know. I had a little bit of an attitudinal problem right there. But I said, you know, it's getting to where it's almost fun kicking the devil around. And everybody chuckled and I thought that was really a cool statement that I made there. So I stayed with this couple and, and uh, <clears throat> there was a trailer and so the room I was in was pretty small and, and I'm just about ready to go into La La Land, just about ready to go to sleep. And I hear this voice and it says, so you think it's fun kicking me around? And I thought, oh my God, what have I done? Because I just knew if I open my eyes, I'm gonna look over there and the Slewfoot is gonna be sitting right there next to me. And so I sat there and I thought, oh my goodness. And so I said, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over those thoughts in Jesus' name. And I peeked with one eye and he wasn't there and then I felt a lot better. But see, the point is, is that's how he works in our life. He gets us when we're at that most vulnerable point, when we feel hopeless, where, we, where we're out of control. And it's just a thought. Because if we begin to entertain that thought, the next thing we know, we're in full-blown fear. Peace goes out the window. And we're vulnerable to whatever the enemy wants to attack us with. And so he doesn't doesn't play fair. So here Jesus is. He's in the garden. The enemy comes. And what does he do? Every attack that he came against him with, what did he do? He combated it with the word of God. He confronted it with the word of God. How are we supposed to do it? Same way that Jesus did. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. And he knows what... Is going to happen he knows that he's going to be whooped he had seen in psalms about the whipping he had seen the crown of thorns he had seen the crucifixion he saw all of that in the psalms and he knew that he was the one that was going to go through it and yes jesus is god but you know it tells us in philippians that he he set aside his his deity and he walked on the earth as a man so every temptation that you and I were tempted by, or have been tempted by, Jesus was tempted with. It says he is tempted in all things, yet without sin. In other words, he never yielded to it. And so here he is, he's, he's at, he's in crisis mode. You know, because he's in the garden and he, he cries out to God the Father and he says, and he's serious about it. We know he's serious because he's, he's sweating drops of blood That's how serious he is. And he says, Father, if there be any other way, let's let's do it that way. Remove this cross from me. But then he says, yet not my will, but your will be done. You know, religion has religiized, religion has taken that phrase and, uh, and, uh, made it a form. That at the end of every every prayer, they say, uh, if it be thy will. Well, as believers, as men and women of the word of God, we're to know what the will of God is because it's right here. This is his last will and testament. He reveals his will to us. So what was Jesus doing? Jesus was praying the prayer of committal, the prayer of consecration. And so what he is saying is, Father, I know this is your will, but I really don't want to do it if there's any other way. And you know what? Generally speaking, we know what we're supposed to be doing. We may pray that prayer, Father, not my will, but your will be done. But then we need to do what Jesus did. He acted upon it, and he fulfilled the will of the Father. It's a a heart thing. It's a heart attitude. And we need to have that heart. Well, Sean's already given me the high sign about three minutes ago, so we better uh, close. Father, we thank you tonight for Jesus. We thank you that we have the victory. Lord, we know that we have an adversary and the things of this world are coming against us to bring destruction into our lives, but it's not going to achieve it because we know what we have. We have the name that's above every other name. We have the blood of Jesus. We have your word. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in in our lives to lead us and direct us. And so, Father, we choose. We choose to follow you. And, Father, we pray that you would indeed have your will done in each of our lives. And we thank you for it. In the glorious name of Jesus, amen. Be blessed. Have a wonderful evening.